Hey, everyone. My name is Andrew Warner. I'm the founder of Mixergy, where I interview entrepreneurs about how they built their businesses. And um, I'm struggling with something. And this interview is not like uh, usual interviews that I do. Usually, you guys know I interview entrepreneurs about the step-by-step, where they got their ideas, about the challenges that they had finding their first customers. Um, and later on, it's about hiring, where what we don't talk about is some of the specifics of actually managing a company. And I remember even, frankly, when I was in, in uh, NYU as an undergrad studying business classes, I loved them all. But management just didn't feel like me. I always thought of, of the management part of business as like the guys in Dilbert that you, that you laughed at. And the entrepreneurs were the ones who were creating, the ones who were doing. And then there were other doers in the organization. But, you know, running a company felt like, I don't know, something for bigger businesses that I wouldn't ever need to be a part of. Meanwhile, though, Mixergy has grown and I've got to run it, but I'm, I, I, I have to be honest, I'm not doing a great job of running it. Um, and in my last company, you guys might have heard that we did over 30 million in sales. I talk a lot about that. What I don't talk about is how I didn't know how to, um, how to lead. It was all coming straight to me if it had, unless it had something to do with tech. And then it would go to my brother because he ran the tech part of the business. And I, I don't know. That's where I'm stuck. So, uh, earlier in the year, the, the, the Mixer G team said, Andrew, go get a COO. And, and I said, okay. And then I kept going and finding other people to hire. People who would, you know, like do the stuff that I needed them to do. Be take my specific instructions and go do the exact same thing that I'm asking them for. And they'd keep the team would keep seeing that and saying, "Go, go look for COO. Go look for someone who could do more than just what you tell them." And they kept challenging me. And and one of the things that they told me to do was they said, "Find a way to talk to Cameron Harold." And I thought, okay, I guess maybe we'll run into each other. Um, <laughs> and the more I struggled with it, the more I thought, you know what, I should open it up. I should talk about it publicly. And instead of finding a way to talk to Cameron in private, let's see if I could have him come on, on to Mixergy and talk about it. And so that's what we're doing here. What I want to understand from him is, frankly, what is a COO? How does an entrepreneur who just wants to do stuff also create an organization that can get stuff done? Um and the reason that I'm confident when I come to him is frankly because so many people have told me how, um, how much this guy gets it. And also because he was a COO. He was a COO, Chief Operating Officer at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. He is the founder of the COO Alliance. It's the world's only uh, organization for those who are second in command. He's also the author of Double Double and Meetings Suck. And I invited him here to talk about what he's learned as he's guided businesses through um, working with COOs and what he's learned uh, by mentoring and coaching and teaching COOs. And this whole thing is sponsored by two sponsors that you might have heard me talk about in the past, uh, HostGator for hosting your website and TopTal for uh, hiring developers, designers, and finance people. Cameron, welcome. Hey, Andrew. Thanks for having me. I um I think you may have stumbled onto a really new podcast format where uh, the podcasters who are all running businesses actually turn to experts to learn how to grow their company, and we just kind of open the kimono and go for it. So I think it's pretty cool you're doing this. You know, I always wanted to do that. I don't know why I didn't do it. Um, I think that uh, other podcasters and 
maybe I shouldn't do it because you're supposed to be the expert as a podcaster. That's why people buy, like, they, why would they trust the guy who's having trouble trying to lead his organization when he tells them, go sign up for TopTal? Only a person who's got it all together has the credibility to tell you what's, anyway, that's the way people think. Yeah. Um, so why don't we start with the basics? What is a chief operating officer? What does that person actually do? So the, the chief operating officer, and it's interesting, Harvard wrote an article about the misunderstood role of the COO. It came out about 12 years ago. Amazing article. And it talked about the seven distinct roles of chief operating officers. So I'll give you an example in my wording when it's a little different from their article. But a COO can be very outward facing, you know, talking to the market. It can be very inward facing, focused internally on the organization. It could be sales and marketing focused, engineering and process focused. It could be you know, very operational or very finance focused. Essentially, the second in command is almost the yin and yang for the entrepreneur. So whatever you, you love to do, whatever your core strengths are, whatever your unique ability is, you want to hire a second in command who really loves and is great at all the stuff you suck at. And they actually love working on it. So if you hate finance, they love it. If you hate engineering, they get off on it. If, if you don't like sales and marketing, that's their, you know, that's what makes their boat float. So you're really looking for that true partner and then secondly, you're looking for a huge amount of trust where you literally almost on day one can give them your bank account information, your credit cards, your access. Day one. Absolutely. You know, I had someone recently, a client who I've coached for four years, they just raised $250 million from Warburg Pinketh. And he said, you know, it takes about 90 days to know if you've hired the right person. And I said, bullshit. That means you've done the interview process wrong. If you do it right, you know on day one you've hired the right person because you did all the work beforehand. So if you do the proper amount of recruiting and interviewing and selection and top grading and reference checks, you know day one that you can trust them because you've already done all that, that groundwork. Otherwise, why the heck are you hiring them? Can you give me an example of one? I'm looking, by the way, at the article, and I could see the different kinds of uh, uh, COOs. It seems like one of them is the executor, like get mm -hmm. stuff done. Am I right? I feel like yep. that's the kind that I... I relate to most. That's what I've seen. Visionary entrepreneurs can come up with great ideas, but they don't even know like how to get an Uber or maybe an Uber they know how to get, but the basics of how to make stuff happen. They're not, they're not strong on. So do you have an example of a, an executor COO who you've worked with or how that would work out in an organization? Yeah, they're often the people that see things in reverse. So when the entrepreneur is really great at the vision and can see where we're going and is great at talking big picture and where we're headed, the, the second in command will see that and they understand the delta between where we're going and where we are. So they almost see all the steps in between that naturally. So they mm -hmm. logically can ask the right questions and can put the systems and processes in place. Um, one, to save the entrepreneur from themselves, but two, to kind of organize a little bit of the chaos and also allow the entrepreneur to stay in their unique ability. You don't want a second in command who short circuits the entrepreneur. You really have to, um, to almost honor the fact that they are ADD and bipolar and have Tourette's and think out loud. Right. And, right. And that's, there's, that's their unique ability. That's exactly who they're supposed to be. In fact, we use some profiles at the COO Alliance where we profile all the CEOs and the COOs that are members and everyone's Colby profile that is the entrepreneur or high quick starts. All the COOs are very high fact finders and follow throughs. They're just totally different makeups. And so you're saying regardless of what their focus is, whether it's finance or any of the other roles, you're saying they are the follow through people. Yeah, they're the ones that will put the systems in place or will ask enough questions of you to get inside of your mind. See, the entrepreneurs often are, they think that they're thinking quickly, but really they've been rolling the idea around for nine months or six months or three months. 
Yeah. And then they delegate it to somebody in four minutes and expect them to catch up. Right. So the, the really good entrepreneur, the really good second in command will be able to read your mind and ask you the questions in a way that won't drive you crazy to be able to get it and put it in place to almost understand the creative brief to then put the plan and the people in place to execute so that they can then catch up with you. And then also they allow you to stay in your creative genius and they can grab all your ideas and not start them right away, but they can kind of organize them and maybe once a quarter they vote on the ideas and which ones to green light. This sounds like heaven. I could see why, uh, why Rachel, for example, wouldn't give up until I fully understood this. Yeah. You, you say that, um, it starts with a good, actually, does it start with a good interview or does it start with a good job description, a good yeah. role, uh, layout? It's even before the job description. So I actually R and D everything. I call it rip off and duplicate. So the, the best, um, interviewing processes are by guys, Brad and Jeff Smart, who wrote the book Top Grading and their second book, Who? So really what you want to do is think over the next 12 months, what are the five core projects or big initiatives the COO needs to, to get done for you and really outline what those are. So now you know the five big things they need to get done. And then you describe the five behavioral traits that you want them to live with, that, that, that they kind of exhibit. So if you're not detail oriented, you want someone who is it's like, you know, you just kind of describe their, their makeup. And then from that, you build the job description. So it's really starting with the outputs and behavior traits. Mm -hmm. You build the job description. So then in the interview process, you're looking to hire people that have done it before, not people that have the theory. So mm -hmm. you're not for the classic MBA who might know how to do something. You're looking to hire and poach someone who's actually done as many of those things on that scorecard as possible. You know what? So I read who, because so many people who I interviewed here said that's the best book on hiring. Yeah. What I, what I found about their interview process is that they say, start, I think, with where the person is now, then about their last job, then the job before that. I forget. You go, I think, in reverse chronological order or in chronological order to understand what they, what they did up until now. But do we, that only leads to people who are good at this role right now, who've done the role before. Are we then not a, it sounds like you're saying eliminate the people who'd never done it before. Am I right? I think I just lost you. The question I was asking before I lost you was what the book who says is to look at their past work and see if their past work would lead them to do this today. So are we eliminating people who've never done this? Someone who's maybe really organized, who's a go-getter, who is eager to, to, to prove themselves. Are we then saying that person is not a good fit? And it sounds like maybe that is, that is what you're saying because this is such a top role. We want someone with experience, right? I actually hired those kinds of people for every role. Like I take business really seriously. For me, business is a full contact sport. So the example I always use is, is this. If we wanted a swimmer to join our team, like their job was to be a swimmer. Mm -hmm. You want someone who knows how to swim all four strokes and knows how to win world records or someone who has broken world records in all four strokes. Do you want someone who has gone to the Olympics or someone who knows how to go to the Olympics? And if, I'm building, if I'm building a company... I want somebody who, who is the people I like to hang with, the right cultural fit, but have done what I need them to do. And in more cases, they're actually working somewhere, which means I need to go poach them. But the days of hiring people for attitude and training for skill, the days of hiring the, the kind of master all trades or jack of all trades, master of none, that gets you 7 to 10% growth, but it doesn't get you the hyper growth. It so you want someone who's done this before, who when, when I have a list of five things that I'm looking for in the next six months, I want someone who's done those five things. 
Yeah, well, as an example, when I built 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I took them from 14 employees when I joined at the head office to 3,100 when I left. But that was the third franchise company I'd built. I'd already built out College Pro Painters. I opened up the West Coast of the United States for the largest painting company on the planet. And then I was a partner in the largest collision repair chain, Gerber Auto Collision and Void Auto Body. So I'd already been around franchising for 11 years. So for me to come in and start building a franchisor was like, that was easy for the first five years. Only when we got to 300 franchises was I going, God, this is big. I see. I see. And I'm then wondering, how did you get into, like, what's the start? And it looks like you are COO of 800 uh, Got Junk, but before that, you were were at the VP level. So you were still in in the franchise space, but at a non-COO lower level. And I see. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. And and in most cases, even in the VP role, it was very much a COO, like a second in command role where I opened. So as an example, I hired Kimball Musk uh, to be a franchisee for mine. I hired his cousin, Peter. Elon Musk's cousin. No, Elon's brother. Brother. Okay. And then I also hired his cousin, Peter Reeve, who who built Solar City. They both were franchisees for me in 1993. In fact, when Kimball was at business school, he said they taught him that he was going to be a middle manager for a corporation. He said, no, I want to be an entrepreneur. Um, so back in those days in training people to run franchises, to run businesses and opening Washington and Oregon, I was effectively handed a territory and said, go build it. So there wasn't really any reporting structure. It was me building something and, and operating the systems. What did Kimball Musk want with the franchise? Which franchise was this? College pro painters. Okay. So was he a college student who wanted to have like to paint people's yeah. houses i see and so instead of doing it as a job he had it as a franchise that's right yeah and i taught him how to, he went out in his first summer and he got 10 employees and he painted houses and did sales and marketing and operations and finance and production um and two years later i was a reference for he and elon in their very first round of funding for zip2 they had one employee and i had to explain why to back kimball musk because no one wanted to back elon because he was unbackable um he dropped out of aeronautical engineering and had no experience but Kimball had actually run a business. I see. And based on the experience, right? Uh-huh. He backed him based on the fact that he'd done something. He'd hired people. He trained people. He'd done sales. He'd done marketing. That's backable experience versus someone who knows how to do it and is really smart. It's a bit of a risk, although that was a good risk with Elon. You know, I was talking with this guy, Said Balki, a past interviewee who owns a, a bunch of different software companies all over. All around the uh, WordPress community. And I thought, considering all the different software companies running, the content, and all, everything else that he's got going on, that he would have a COO, but it doesn't seem like he did. What he had instead was an operations manager. And he was very proud that the operations manager was documenting everything, was making sure that people knew what they needed to do, and that the, the how-to guides for doing that work were always updated. And I wonder if maybe it's a different approach and maybe it's it's the right approach for me and for other people like me, where instead of a COO who makes the decisions, it's an operations manager who codifies the CEO's instructions. What do you what do you think of that? Is that a cop out? No, it's not a cop out at all. And in fact, you think I think you're touching on something in a slightly different way. Twenty years ago, to have a COO title meant you had to be a major player at a major company. Right. Right. Nowadays, we've had title creep where like to have a CMO or a CRO or a CT, like, God, those were titles reserved for the Fortune 100s or the Fortune 500s. We've had a lot of title creep down into these entrepreneurial companies where you've got 40 employees and you have a chief revenue officer and a chief marketing officer. Really, what you have is a director of marketing and a director of sales and a director of operations. And what's the difference then? How much money you have to pay them. That's it. 
The, yeah, the more that you, so I have people that are in the COO Alliance. It's for second in commands. Some of them have a general manager title. Some have a president title. Some have a COO title. Some have a VP ops title. The key is that they are the de facto second in command. If the entrepreneur got sick and had to go to hospital for six months, they'd really be the one running the company. So like, would an operations manager run it? Because it feels like a COO is someone who would be able to make decisions, be able to say, no, we're not going to do this thing because it doesn't fit with the vision that we've laid out as a company. We are going to go in that direction. But the operations manager would just be, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I, uh huh. It depends because, again, in some companies, when I was building 1-800-GOT-JUNK, I had no directional control over vision. That was Brian, the founder's job, mm-hmm. but I was the one to figure out how. Um, I didn't like IT and finance, so he ran those two areas, but I ran sales and franchising and marketing and advertising and you know operations and the call center and PR because that was just in my skill set. Okay. But he decided where and I decided how. I feel like that's the big distinction. One person decides where to go. The other decides how to get there. A visionary and integrator. Right. Right. So I think what we have to be careful with is applying a title to a role. Instead of saying, I need to get these things done, what title should I give it and how much money do I want to pay for it? But you know what? So the the difference I'm wondering is, let's say we get someone to run Mixergy, the, the interview and everything else that goes along with running Mixergy. Um, as opposed to like the, the bigger business, which has a few other things that we do. If I had one type of second in command would take my instructions and go find these 20 guests. The other type of second in command would take my instructions and say, actually, your direction is what you want is to level up the guests and to go for people who are better recognized names so you could get more traffic and more more reputation which then translates into more sales and more growth everywhere else so one would do exactly what i say the other would would go exactly where i want to go right and that's that's the difference between between hiring a really good swimmer who can swim all strokes and a really good swimmer who can win in the olympics you know a really good coo who can be strategic a really good coo who can say no andrew i disagree not with you because you're a bad person, but with your idea because I think your idea is wrong, you know, and you're not a bad person. Um, but but you want to you want to raise the bar with all the people we bring into our companies today. So I think what you're cluing in on is or keying in on is everyone we hire has to raise the bar. And if you can hire someone that can help you with strategy, that's better than someone who can just implement. If, and that's true in marketing or in sales or in any other area of the business. The key though is to hire people that have done it before. So that their ideas on strategy aren't based on opinion, they're based on experience and fact. I see. So in every role, and especially in this one, I want the strategy person. I'm not looking for the person who's going to just do take the action. Right. In, yeah, in that, then you're going to propel your growth. So what I call it is hiring ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Kind of lean out three years and look at what you need three years from now. Look at what you need two years from now and try to hire those people earlier than you might need them today. But tell them to roll up their sleeves and get dirty because they're going to be doing a little bit more than they need to do. All right. Let me talk about my first sponsor, and then I think it kind of relates to this. So the sponsor is a company called uh, TopTal. And in the past, I've said that the reason people hire developers from TopTal is because TopTal's developers aren't just tell, aren't just listening to what they should be doing, but understanding the problem that they're that they need to solve. And the example I gave that's kind of away from uh, tech is about how my kid's nanny came home one day and said she couldn't watch a video, and I said I can help, and she said, "Well, I think I can handle it." I said, "No, I I, I can help. I I know it." 
I asked her to bring her laptop in or at least tell me what was going on. And when I saw the laptop, what I saw was she had tons of Chrome plugins from all these different sites that she went to to try to watch this one uh, video. And each one of them installed a plugin on her site that made it on her browser, which made it harder for her to view. She had these other uh, video players that she downloaded that were all slowing down her system because each one of them had some kind of spyware or something. She was desperately trying to watch videos online. I get what she was doing. She might have even been going to sites where, you know, you get the illegal stuff and didn't know that the ads are intentionally misleading and trying to get you to to install plugins. Anyway, so what I did was I just removed all the plugins, removed all the software that wasn't necessary, and then I installed the right um, software for her to watch any videos that she downloads. And the difference that I'm saying is someone who would have understood her problem and just said, you need a new video player, go download VLC, would have not solved the problem really, would have just given her what she was looking for, which is a video player. Someone who really loves technology and wants to go above and beyond would understand the deep problem that she has, which is watching videos and see all the other issues that she never would even identify and say, I need help with that. She could never say, I need help getting rid of a Chrome plugin. I don't even know that she knew what a Chrome plugin was. And so the same thing we found when we work with uh, developers from TopTal. Other freelance sites, they want you to tell them exactly what to do. It's all about how do you document and how you request, and then they do it, and whether they hit the milestones of getting it done uh by the dates you set or not is what determines whether they get paid or not. With TopTal, what they have is people who can think through the problem and come up with a solution that you never could have. That's TopTal. If you guys are looking for the best developers, go check them out at top, well, not toptal.com, but toptal.com slash Mixergy. That's T-O-P-T-A-L.com slash Mixergy. Because when you go there, number one, I get credit. I'll be honest with you. That's how they know to keep uh, sponsoring Mixergy. But number two, when you go to that URL, you're going to get 80 hours of TopTal developer credit when you pay for your first 80 hours. And that's in addition to a no-risk trial period of up to two weeks. I've used them. I love them. Go check them out at toptal.com slash Mixergy, toptal.com slash Mixergy. So coming back to us in our discussion, Cameron, away from that ad, that is essentially what we're talking about here too, that I keep wanting someone who's going to do exactly what I say when I should be thinking of how do I find someone who can help me implement the strategy that I need. Am I right? Yeah. And if you show them what I call the vivid vision, What's your company look like three years from now? If you can show them exactly what your company looks like, feels like, and acts like three years from today, they can say, that's awesome. Move out of the way and let me build it for you. So the key is to make sure that they're as clear as you are as to what the company looks like so they can reverse engineer that for you. You know what? That sounds almost almost too good to be true. Step out of the way. Let me do that for you. And I could not only trust them with all my banking information, but also let them go and do that. And that's, that's possible. Have you seen that done? First of all, you're nodding and smiling as I say that, like, yeah, of course that's possible. Right. I want to acknowledge that. Yeah. It's, it's very, it's, it's not easy to do, but it's much easier to do than we think. If you really are clear on what you're looking for, and if you spend the time on the front end to make sure that you're hiring the person who has those traits who, you know, like I, I had drinks last night with a friend who I hired 16 years ago and we were laughing about the fact that I did 12 reference checks before I hired him, seven business and five personal. And the final business reference check I did was to his boss, a guy named Mark Hamilton. Mm-hmm. And I phoned his boss while Christopher was standing right beside me at my desk. Christopher knew that if I called his boss, he'd lose his job. But he also knew if I called his boss, his boss would tell the truth and he would get the job at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And he's like, no one would have ever gone to that depth. And I said I had to. It was a big decision for me to hire him, and I wanted to do my groundwork. Well, I actually had a VP and a director tell me not to hire him. And I'm like, no, you know what? Everything I've done is checked out. I know you two are wrong. Turns out that those two were gone within six months, 
And Christopher Bennett went on to become an icon at 1-800-GOT-JUNK. Why? What was it that you were looking for in those calls that allowed you to know this is the guy who I can work with? I, I knew he had the skills. That was actually kind of um, non-debatable on the skills. But on the culture side, he was such a renaissance man. He was such a high-gloss individual that he'd done so much at 23, I was worried he would piss people off. I would worry that he was going to be so strong that people wouldn't like working with him. And culturally, he would be a disconnect. So when I called his boss, I said, I'm calling about Christopher Ian Bennett. And he said, oh, my God, you've got my, my best guy. And I said, you know, I just have one question. Like, do people like working with him? He said, do they like it? They love him. And so then I knew, right? When when so, But you have to do... The groundwork on, I don't want to wait 90 days to find out if I was right or wrong because there's too much, the ripples that that can cause can be really damaging. So you just, you have to slow to hire, quick to fire. Um, I'm looking him up. He was the PR person. Is that right? At 800 Got Junk? 800 Got Junk. PR for Best Buy Canada, the head of PR for Guitar Center, head of PR communications for Sprint Communications Worldwide, and he now runs Vancouver Film School. He's like a rock star. He's amazing. I think of all the calls that you made for the person you ended up with. And in my mind, I then go to all the calls that you must have made to people who you didn't end up going with. No, I don't make the calls until the very final stage. So what I do in the process is I do a group interview first. Mm -hmm. And I interview one candidate against seven other candidates at the same time. In the same room? In the same room. It's awesome. It's kind of like... It's kind of like The Bachelor where you get like 12 girls in front of you and you can pick the final two that you want to go on dates with. You do a group interview with eight good candidates that look good on paper and have passed a phone screen. And then in person or over video, you can interview them for 90 minutes. You know who culturally is vibrating. From there, you bring them in and do the SIDS interview, the very in-depth one and two interviews to find out if they have the skills to do the job. And then in that time period, you find out people they know and you ask them about those people and what those people would say about them. It's called torque, the threat of reference, Chuck. Yeah, the way that they phrased it was, when I ask your boss about what you did there, what will she say? And then I see that's, the, that's essentially the, the point. Exactly. So if I, if I called some person about you, what would they say about you, right? And, and then you, if I called this person about you, what would they say? If I called this person about this core value, what would they say? But most companies won't do that groundwork and they'll say, well, it's hard to know. You don't know for 90 days. Well, then go ahead and take that risk. But if it's my company or if I'm COO, I'll do the risk on the front end and then I'll know for sure. And and then you've got like 98% predictability on your employees. It's very rare that you're wrong. What do you do to set them up for success so early on? So, and, and let me, let me back that data point up as well. The okay. reason I know that the data point works at college pro painters, we had to recruit and hire 800 franchisees every summer. And then we only had four months to make sure that they were trained and successful. And then September 1st, they quit and went back to school. So we didn't have 90 days when we only had a 120 day business. We had no time to screw this thing up. You know, I want to know what you did, uh, but once you started out with them, but let me put a pin in that for a minute and, and go sure. back a little bit. Where do you find so many potential COOs? How do you find all those people? Uh, PR is one and social media is a second. Leveraging your network, recruiting firms, really good search firms. Um, and just knowing that A players are never out looking for jobs. A yeah, that's the other thing that who talks about that it's you're not looking on job boards, you're looking, you're constantly asking people constantly putting together this Rolodex, or I guess, uh, I think actually the book was written after the Rolodex, but you're constantly putting together this list yeah. of potential, uh, potential hires for every position. Yeah, 
if you don't have your A players handcuffed, guys like me come and poach them and I do it for fun. Like when I meet a great employee, if it's at a restaurant or a bar or a business or wherever, I'm constantly, I'm like, wow, culturally you're perfect. Like who could you work for? And if they're working for you or for anybody else and you haven't got them handcuffed to your company, they'll be mine within six weeks. What do you mean by handcuffed? You've got to find something, one or two things about that person that matters so much to them that your company can deliver that. Like what? Um, it could be visibility with the press. It could be that they get to work on their executive MBA. It could be flex time. It could be vacation time. It could be more time with their family. It could be um, more responsibility. It could be they want you to buy a company and let them run it or spin off a division and let them run it. You just have to know that person and go, what is it about that person that floats their boat that I can lock them up for three to five years? I see. Got it. Okay. Otherwise, you have a conversation. You want to you hire them. Um, but see, if, if, I know, if I know what really turns that person on, I can get them because you haven't decided how to keep them. So I can now use that again. It's like you just – I just show them what I can do and they get all excited about that. So I, I get that. I'm wondering – where do I guess I'm still wondering where do you even find those people? Like if you said to me, Andrew, you need to find um, someone to do your Facebook ad buys. I'm constantly at conferences where there are people who do that. I constantly talk to friends who have good Facebook ad uh, uh, teams and references, and I could find that person. But if but I'm not in the COO world. It's just not my world. There's not a COO conference I attend. So you have to describe in detail what a COO looks like to you. What are they going to do? What do they need to get done over the next year? Right. Mm-hmm. Facebook ad buy is fairly descriptive. They're going to be buying Facebook ads. So now I want to know, is it like at the level of a Nick Kuzmich or is it a more junior level like a Yannick Mita? Like, you know, where, where in between are they going to be fitting? And how much is my spend going to be? And what do I need them to monitor? Do they need to do the creative? Like, so you start describing it. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about not just the COO, but, you know, a head of sales or head of marketing or a call center person. Like, what do they need to do? What do they need to be like? And then how do I describe that role so that everybody goes, oh, I know the person that's done those things. I know a person that has done those things and acts like that. Here's who they are. You kind of describe it in a way where it's not a job description. It's a person description. When you describe the person that fits the role that well, anyone who reads it, whether it's executive search firm, social, friends, postings, they'll be like, I know exactly who that is because it sounds like that person. I see. But it's constant. You're constantly looking. You're constantly talking. You're constantly asking. And then I would need to think about not the role I need today, but the one I might need a year from now or six months. No, two to three years out. So you're always looking at least two years out because you want to hire ahead of that curve. Two years out. Yeah. Like like I'm actually rolling out the vivid vision for the COO Alliance City Forums right now, which is what we look like in 2020. So I'm describing the hundred the hundred locations with a thousand members and operating in the top thirty markets and what the actual agendas look like and what the days flow like and what the media is saying. We don't even have the first one open yet, but I already know what the whole business looks like three years from now. So I know what the team looks like. I know what the needs are like. And then if I know that I need a VP of, of ops for that in three years and I spot them in six months, I'm going to hire them in six months and say, "Roll up your sleeves and get dirty," because I know I'm hiring you to do a more junior job. But this is what we look like in three years. And they're so excited about where we're going that they'll join. No one's going to be excited about where we are. But they will be excited about where we're headed. And if you're not starting that role yet, though, what are they doing until you're, you're ready for them? 
They might do sales. They might do operations. They're so excited to build something that they'll build into the role as long as they can do aspects of it. When I was when I joined One Eight Hundred Got Junk, I had seven hats. I did PR. I did sales. I did franchise operations. I coached franchisees. I built training programs. Even though I had a COO title, I was doing a lot of stuff. I was working in the business, building and, towards that COO title. Correct. In fact, I even had time on my calendar four hours a week just to do PR six hours a week to do franchise coaching. So I knew I was playing different roles. And then eventually I hired a coach, I hired a PR person, I hired a marketing person. You know, you scale it out. What did you do to, to train franchisees back then? Um, first one was we built a manual. So we, we kind of codified exactly what the business looked like. And we really step by step every aspect of it. Um, we got, got them to set big goals and big visions for their locations. So we knew where they were going and then we helped them back into those goals, help them set budgets and plans. Um, and we looked at a lot of situational leadership. We looked at, you know, what they were working on and what their, their competency was and their commitment level was on each situation and coach them appropriately. I see almost like being their, their COO or training them to, to be the CEOs of their business. Yeah. Or we were more like a coach. We were really a coach and a mentor to them. Most franchise companies don't have that. But it was something that I brought to the program from uh, College Pro Painters was the fact that if we could coach franchisees and train them to grow companies, then they could be unstoppable. You know, when you talk about I could see where my business is going to be two years from now, I can see what I need. I wonder how is that possible for a startup? I keep thinking about um, Jason Calacanis, who I interviewed recently, who said on social media, I figured it out. This is the answer. And it was like the Google killer it was going to be Mahalo. And it turned out he wasn't killing Google. That didn't really work out. So he comes out and he says, actually, question and answer sites, that's the future. Yahoo doesn't do question and answer sites right, but people keep going to it. There's a hunger there. I'm going to do it right. And then he gets like, this is committed. This is where he's going. And then it turns out that doesn't work out. So then he becomes the the education site and so on. And I admire how he always believes fully in what he's saying. But I also wonder, like, he has to keep adjusting when he's wrong. If you say to, to someone you're hiring, this is where we're going to be in two years, how can you even make that prediction? How could you get there? What, because I don't, I don't work in the startup space. I work in, the, I work in this space where companies have kind of 50 to 500 employees and want to go from 500 to 5,000. I work for companies that have a proof of concept and want to scale it versus – in fact, I told the founder of Uber, Garrett Camp, years ago when we were at Burning Man together that it was a stupid idea because I just didn't understand Uber. Um, so I don't work well in the startup space, but I work really well when they have a concept that's working and now they're like, how the heck do I grow this? But you are a startup. This, uh, this group of, uh, locations that you're talking about, right? That's a startup. You, can yeah, you my, really, pre- uh-huh. I know it well enough because I know the market well enough. So I already have a CEO Alliance that people come to Scottsdale and now I'm just deploying it in the city. So I'm also taking, I'm ripping off the EO, YPO and Vistage forum model applying it to the genius network model from Joe Polish and kind of merging it together. And I've built franchise companies and organizations and I know the marketplace. So I've already done enough that I've, I have, you know, I've got 42 full members of the, of the national program. So I know it well enough to scale it now. I see. You know, I know EO. EO is the entrepreneur uh, organization where entrepreneurs will get together in a boardroom. They'll talk through their issues um, and then they'll do events together. What is the genius Network's connection to this? I don't know the genius network. Yeah, so Genius Network is Joe Polish's model where they come eight times a year and they select three of the eight events to go to. And it's very much masterminding. Um, so it's the masterminding concept with the EO forum concept without the events. So the, COO, the city forums will be six times a year. 
It'll be 10 to 14 second in commands meeting in a city. They will meet all day from nine till five at one of the members companies and they'll work on problem solving with each other, doing updates with each other, presenting to each other and being moderated by a chair. But there won't be the special events. There won't be the outside speakers very much working on the business as a kind of a shared board of directors. I see. I see. Right. So this is a model that's existed that you're bringing here. That's not like a wacky twist on it. Correct. And it's never been done for second in command. So it's been done thousands of times for entrepreneurs. And, and there's lots of groups for entrepreneurs, but there's never been that group for the COO. So that's why I know it works is it's already working. Yeah, I feel like um, we don't talk so much about the COO. We talk about the CTO. We talk about the uh, head of HR being like a C-level role. But the COO is still fuzzy and not spent, and people don't spend much time on it. Yeah, we're starting to get some traction around it. You think Sheryl Sandberg is getting a lot of press. She's the second in command of Facebook, right? So you think about, you know, who are the true seconds? So I'm actually starting to interview the COOs from all the entrepreneurs that we hear about. So, you know, you hear about all the ones being interviewed on um, NPR's How I Built This. Well, you know, Kendra Scott, I've known Kendra since she was a million in revenue running Kendra Scott Jewelry. She's got Lon, who is her second in command. I want to know from Lon, what's yeah. Kendra's company? Right. I want to talk to Eric, who's the new CEO at Winning Her Got Junk. I want to talk to Harley, who's the CEO at Shopify. Like, Harley, tell me what it's like to build Shopify. Harley's the uh, CEO now? He's always been COO. I thought he was biz dev for a long time. I didn't realize. Yeah. Okay. All right. Maybe that's what you're talking about, where he was like growing into that role. Exactly. So he's had a title, but we always think of him. And so that's where some COOs are very inward facing and we don't know who they are. Others are very outward facing like Harley and we don't know the name of the CEO. Like no one knows the name of the CEO. Developers know the name of the CEO at Shopify and they love him and he's probably done a favor for them. But you're right. Other than that, everyone talk, the entrepreneurs talk about Harley. Right. So that's what's interesting is that's a, that's a very outward facing COO role. And then Kendra Scott is very inward facing. Sheryl Sandberg, very outward facing. Um, so it's just, so I want to interview those people to find out what's it really like growing the entrepreneur's dream. What's it like being the second in command? What's it like making the entrepreneur iconic? Um, what's it like being in the shadow when you know you could build a company, but it's not yours? Yeah, I wonder about that. Why would someone do that? If they could really run the company, why not run their own company? I think some of it is the makeup. that They're just wired differently. And it's interesting. My core makeup is entrepreneur. Um, I was really a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a weird COO where I was actually running a company, but inside of someone else's business. But most COOs don't have that entrepreneurial makeup. They're either risk adverse or they believe that their idea needs to be different or they don't have an idea. I don't think I've ever really had ideas. I just know how to reverse engineer others. So I feel like also they don't have that crazy, that craziness, you know, like when I talked to Jason Calacanis and I said, Here's the first idea, then the second and the third. And with each one, you say it with such confidence, like you are cocksure, you know it's going there. Do you really believe this bullshit? And he gave me this smile that told me in a, in a second, yes, of course I believe it. This, yeah, and I, and I know I'm crazy for believing it at every time. It was like this micro movement in his face that told me that. And I feel like the, the, the COO person doesn't have that. You know, it's funny. I did a TED Talk eight years ago. It's on the main TED.com website about raising kids as entrepreneurs. And, and I was asked whether it was uh, nurture or nature. And I said it's both. But entrepreneurs have to be born with the entrepreneurial traits and then they can be nurtured. But I don't think you can take a person and make them an entrepreneur. You're either entrepreneurial or you're not. And some of that is the craziness. It is the 
ADD, the bipolar, the Tourette's, the thinking out loud, the stuff that just we're wired differently. And, and the, the COO isn't wired that way. All right. I'm going to talk about one uh, more sponsor and then come back to this story. The second sponsor is a company called HostGator. They host websites. They do it super cheaply. Is it kind of uh, cheapening the conversation that I interrupt what you're saying? We're talking high level and then I suddenly come back to this. Great, great. All this, all this sip of wine. (laughs) Where are you in the world that you're having, that you're sipping wine? I'm at three in the afternoon in Vancouver and I feel like it. Ah, Uh, sweet. It's because I actually don't have to run or do yoga today, and I'm going to meet with a friend for dinner, and I don't have kids today, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to have a glass of wine right now. You know what? I'd love to do these interviews over a glass of wine, or some people have suggested over scotch, because I do scotch night, to just sit and quietly talk, but there's something about holding that glass of wine and being open that opens you up more. Not that we're getting, like, I haven't asked you a personal question yet. But um, but it does open us. All right. Here's the company. It's called uh, HostGator. HostGator is like an infrastructure company. Nobody gets excited about it, but um, but we should. Here's why. If you get the right hosting company, it'll kind of be invisible. You won't know about it because it's working. But there is one thing that I want you to look for. Even if you don't end up with HostGator, even if you end up going with one of their competitors, especially if you're at the stage where you're experimenting, I'd like you to think about a hosting package that gives you unlimited domains. Yeah, it might cost you a little bit extra with others to sign up and maybe an extra couple of bucks for another domain. It's not that much. But there's something about unlimited. And here's the difference. When you sign up for HostGator's baby plan, you get unlimited domains. That means you have an idea in the shower. Like, hey, you know what? I should be doing some speaking roles. How about I just put up a website for myself with my picture, my bio, and anyone who asks me if they want me to speak can just go there. And maybe I submit it to a couple of speaking sites. Boom, you have that idea in the shower. You go in to your unlimited plan. You... uh press one button to get WordPress started again. You pick a theme, spend like an hour on it, maybe even in the evening while you're having a glass of wine. And boom, you have it up and running. Anyone asks you about speaking, you send them to the speaking site. Other people are looking for speakers. They go from there, uh, from the speaker search, search sites to your site and they, they get to work with you. You have an idea for a new blog, a new podcast. When you have unlimited domains, you could just keep going off on these ideas and experimenting with them. And again, other services might charge you an extra buck or two or five or ten to do it. And what's a buck or two or five or ten? It's not that much. But there's something about unlimited. If you've ever gone to a buffet where it's all you can eat, you know what I'm talking about. It's not like food's expensive for us. But when they give you all you can eat, you end up eating more. When they give you unlimited domains, you end up creating many more sites, many more ideas come to life. I want you to go check out hostgator.com slash mixergy. And when you do go to that site, you're going to get 50% off. You're going to get tagged as a Mixergy customer, and they're going to take really good care of you. And if they don't, they have a 45-day money-back guarantee. And, of course, you'll always be tagged as a Mixergy customer. So come back and let me know whether you have a good or bad experience with them. HostGator.com slash Mixergy. I feel like you have a bunch of different sites, speaking of, that um, the COO Alliance is now your thing, but you've got the the uh, couple of books. You've got a speaking um uh, I don't know if I'd call it a speaking business, but there's a speaking part of your business. Am I right? Sure, yeah, I've done 465 paid events in 28 countries. So I'd say that's a business. Wow. We, yeah, I am. Um, so I, I, I left 1-800-GOT-JUNK 10 years ago, 10 and a half years ago, mm-hmm. decided that what I love doing was helping entrepreneurs make their dreams happen. And the way that I would do that would be speaking to them, coaching them, writing some books. Um, and then for me, I just kind of figured out my sales funnel was the more that I spoke, the more people would learn about me, the more that I could, you know, get them buying my content and hiring me as a coach. And then I started realizing as I was coaching all these really successful companies, I ended up always coaching their second in command and that just spun off into the COO Alliance. And I feel like this is your thing. You've found your, your oh, yeah. legacy, right? Oh, sure. Yeah, for sure. 
Yeah, it's getting it's getting really great results. We've got a positive eighty two percent net promoter score. Super, like some really really successful companies are putting their COOs into the COO alliance, so it's starting to scale nicely. And it's speaking that gets people into the alliance. One, well, one of the areas, sure. Like I do a lot of speaking events to YPO and to EO. I was the highest rated speaker in history for um, Vistage for their big all all city events and. You know, I do paid events to groups of entrepreneurs. Rich Carlgard, the publisher of Forbes, said I'm the number one business speaker he's seen in 19 years. I see uh, that on your on your home site. Yeah, so like, you know, I, I guess I'm happy to be good, and I just I deliver that content, and and it helps. What I'm trying to move away from is the one to one coaching, just because it doesn't scale. You know, I'm good, but it, I'm now eighty thousand a year just to coach somebody, and that's three hours a month. You get to a point where. I can't take that many more clients, and I can't really charge that much more, and it doesn't scale. Uh, and the CEO Alliance just scales, plus it's really needed. There's just all of the – I was a second in command, and we get these COOs, and they go to these entrepreneur events, and they feel like the the odd man out. They don't feel like the cool kid. Yeah. They want their tribe, right? They And by the way, no entrepreneurs are allowed to join the CEO Alliance. It's only for the second in commands. I think that's a good rule, actually. Yeah. Um, so – how do you set the person up as an entrepreneur? How do you set the COO up for success when they're starting out? Great question. The first part is really, truly making sure that you have, have interviewed for the trust side of the business so that day one, you can implicitly give them the passwords and trust everything because that, that just locks you together. Um, the second part is making sure you have date nights. So you have a weekly meeting with the second command one-on-one for an hour where you can get in sync. Um, the next part is making sure that you realize that, they're going to be okay. You've hired someone that can do this. What you want to do is watch for the ripple effects. So think of them like a big boulder that you're going to drop into a pond. They're going to create ripples. They'll create good ripples. They'll create bad ripples. But your job in the first 90 days is to watch the ripples. As they're getting up to speed, you have to watch for all the ripple effects that they cause. Most people miss that. They're so worried about getting the entrepreneur, the CEO up to speed that they miss all the things that are happening to the, the current team and customers and suppliers. Um, and then it's just alignment. It's really making sure that you give them the opportunity to run the areas that you don't love to do that they're excited about. The ripples can sometimes be off. I would freak out at that point because the person has so much responsibility. Yeah. You're not going to give them the pure responsibility in the first 90 days. They're going to start integrating and getting to know the business. They're not going to make decisions without checking in with you on a lot of stuff, Mm -hmm. but the ripples will be jealousy um or it will be a comment that's made in a team meeting that pisses someone off or an email that's sent out that gets taken the wrong way or um opinions that are shared that are different from this the is the coo rubbing the other person the wrong way yeah yeah or the coo making friends that now they've got a clique starting like they start you know and someone's feeling left out it's just the natural stuff that happens but we often don't spend time watching for that. You know, we're so worried about making sure they're okay because it's such a key role and caring about them. They're going to be fine. I see. When you say watch for the ripple effects, I thought you meant look at how everything immediately changes for the better. You're saying act, that's not what you meant. You meant no. look for those problems. Your job is to go smooth those ripples. Correct. Just keep be aware of them. You know, like, let's say that, that um, someone gets divorced and they get remarried. Now, the new spouse is going to create ripples that the kids are going to feel. But often you're so concerned about integrating with the new spouse, you miss the ripple effects with the children. Yeah, I see. The spouse will be fine. But like, look for the kid. And then what about your friends? And what about your family that are all swirling around you trying to make sense of it all? If you don't spend time thinking about them, you miss it. 
Let's talk about different different types of titles for this because I do feel uh, at smaller companies having a COO, a company with twenty people, COO feels a little a little heavy. You know, it's like saying he's a COO and he's the chairman. It almost reminds me of when people started companies and their second move after starting a company was getting a business card with their title CEO. CEO. Yeah. What else? What other titles are there? General manager, director of operations, vice president of operations. Um, COO, president, mm-hmm. really, you know, if you're CEO, you can have president. Those, those would probably be the five. Well, is Sheryl Sandberg the president of, I know she's COO, but I thought she was also she's president. president. She's president and COO. Of Facebook, yeah. Where where else can we find out more about what it means to be a COO, how to, how to work with them? I don't see that. Yeah, there's not a lot out there. In fact, I'm working on a book right now. I'm an advisor to uh, Tucker Max's company, Book in a Box. Yeah. And- I'm working on another book with them. So, um, yeah, there's not a lot of information on on the COO role right now. Did you write Double Double through them? No, I wrote Double Double um, six years ago through Greenleaf Books. I wrote Meeting Suck with Book in a Box. Uh, and then I have another book on Vivid Vision coming out in January with them as well. And then I co-authored The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs with Hal Elrod. That was the whole separate publisher. You know, I had no idea that you were on there until just now when I clicked on your name on Amazon. That book's doing really well. That wasn't a book in a box book, was it? No, that was that was using Hal's publisher. It was a great, really great success. It was a lot of fun to do as well. I don't know why that. I, I wouldn't have thought it was like here's how to start your morning right, which I get, but I wouldn't have thought there'd be such demand for it. I keep seeing it on on lists. Oh yeah, the Miracle Morning, the core book is doing crazy well, like ridiculously yeah, well. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like, uh, when I see the royalties off of it, it's unbelievable. Why? But- Why is it doing so well? What is it about the the Miracle Morning? Is he's come on? He's taught the Miracle Morning here. It's about what to do to have a really to start your day right and to. Yeah, it, I'll tell you, it's it's the book is good. The book is really good. But he's created a tribe and he's created a, a group and and interaction um, where people go to the Facebook page and share with each other. And he's really created a movement um, of people think- who are starting their days right. Yeah, and they're sharing it and excited about it. And then that's getting other people to be excited and sharing about it as well. He's done a really good job with that. I feel like what he tapped into there is there's a group of people who don't have to show up at nine and leave at five. And it's really fun, but it's also hard to like get yourself going when you don't have that hard that hard uh, start. Yeah, but you know what? Even if, I'll tell you, if you were in nine to fiver and started your day with the morning savers, you'd be way ahead of the rest of the world as well. You know, starting up with silence and affirmations and visualization and exercise and reflections and like describing, mm-hmm. it works, man. Like I've taken mine to the next level. I do cold showers and I do smudge myself in the morning with a stick and I drink lemon water and like I'm I'm on the point of, and I use the five the uh, the five minute journal. Like I'm at a point where. Um, it's making a huge difference in my life. I saw, I was watching you. Uh, I saw the wine, but I also saw the beads. Uh, on one hand, you have the Apple Watch. On the other hand, you have the beads, the meditation beads. What's the meditation beads? Um, so they are um, just to remind me to be present and to slow down and to um, kind of finish my conversations, to not, not exit the conversations right away. I noticed yours on your, your um, microphone. Yeah, mic. yeah. So, and I'm sitting holding rose quartz, which is to soften me and bring out my feminine side. Um, and I've got Palo Santo on the ground that I use in the morning to smudge with. That, uh, dude, if you'd told me a year ago I'd be doing any of this, I would have said you are crazy. There's no fucking way. Like I was a small town kid from northern Canada, uh-huh. but 
damn, this stuff works. You, you're, you're running a garbage business, essentially, a garbage collection business, right? Yeah. That doesn't sound to me like someone who's going to smudge himself in the morning. That sounds like someone who's going to end up owning a football team like Wayne Huizenga did. Um, I feel like maybe did you have a, an issue? Was there a breakup? That's what leads to leads people to find this stuff usually. Well, no, it was actually garbage, house painting, and auto body, like three very right. non businesses. Yeah, right? that's right. I didn't think of that. No, I joined, I started, so I had a, had a dinner nine years ago with a guy named Evan Pagan and we were talking about investing and investing in relationships versus investing in the stock market. And so I started getting into some masterminds and I got involved in mastermind talks and in um, Maverick and in Genius Network and Strategic Coach and starting to meet with these highly successful people and finally just realizing that maybe they weren't that crazy after all. Like maybe this stuff that I poo poo didn't maybe i just didn't understand it um i ran my first marathon a year ago wow um i mean yeah life is stressful right so you go through raising kids and living in two countries and there's stress but no it was just a and 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 how meeting up yeah it was just a combination of everything um and i just started getting it like i started yoga six months ago and now i'm like excited to go off and do stuff and mm-hmm. and when you, i think when i realize that i can just slow down and breathe and connect it it makes a bigger impact you know what? I uh, thought that was maybe a San Francisco thing. What I'm noticing is that because I'm in San Francisco, I get to see more entrepreneurs in a more personal way. And so I pick up on some of these uh, right. uh, some of these things that they wouldn't talk about publicly. They're not writing a lot of blog posts about it. Um, drugs are another heavy part of it, but that's not yeah, something. I, I microdosed yesterday. Like, there's, there's What is whole- microdosing? I'm hearing people talk to me about that in private. It, it, apparently, it's like a little bit of LSD. What does it mean? Yeah, it means you take one-tenth of a tab of LSD or one-tenth of a hit of mushrooms and uh-huh. it just uh, relaxes you and connects you and opens everything up. And it's a really beautiful, relaxing um, thing. I don't know. It's just like you don't even – it's very unperceptible. It's almost like you walk through 12 hours of the day and it's just like sunset the whole time. Like, I don't know. It's just – that's another thing I'm hearing people talk about privately. And all right, I'm glad that you, that you mentioned it. Well, it's interesting. Like I'm starting to hear more people talk about it privately, but also I think people are so exhausted with talking about it privately. They were all just saying, fuck it. I'm just going to be open with it. I'm not going to hide it. Yeah. I guess I saw that with weed at some point, some people started to talk about how they were smoking and then they realized, you know what? The world's not coming to an end and there are other people who do. Everybody's like, it's like you go to a conference. I go into baby bathwater and like we're passing joints around at three in the afternoon. I'm like, well, maybe it's actually normal. Maybe everyone's actually doing it. And if we just admit, that we were all scared and we're all going to die. You go to Baby Bathwater, you know what they're going to sponsor? I have no idea what Baby Bathwater is. Right. A really strong, strong mastermind, no ego whatsoever, really cool people. Michael Lovich and Hollis Carter are doing – in fact, I'm doing a call with Hollis later this afternoon, I think, or tomorrow. Um, no, I'm doing a call with them in half an hour. They're just really good network, really strong people, very open, vulnerable. They start their morning um, you know, meetings with a Bloody Mary and, and like – and everyone just hangs out and tells it like it is and really strong companies sharing with each other. It's just a bunch of entrepreneurs getting together in a room and well, letting and we things in, Yeah, and we meet in Eden, Utah with Powder Mountain and it's beautiful, right? Like it's just a beautiful, amazing. You should come. It's a great I'm going. I'm going to the next one. In March? Uh yeah. Yeah. And I actually I'm I'm going. People ask me, why are you going? I say, I don't know. I just keep hearing people glow afterwards. I want to see what this is. Yeah, it's really good. I, I was surprised. I went for my first time. I was like, because I was really skeptical. I'm like, wow, everybody's walking around in bathrobes, there's people in hot tubs. I don't know. Damn. Right. Really, really nice to just chill out and no ego and share. And people there were talking about their friends, their family, raising kids, you know, reconnecting with their spouse. Um, and everybody's running real businesses. And there's no pretension. There's no 
I'm just tired of the conferences and the hotels. Me too. I feel like more and more what I want is either a room where we sit down and do work, whatever the work is, let's get really actionable, let's get specific, let's plan, whatever it is, I want to do it, or let's do no work, put our phones aside and just go and talk and bond. Because the rest of the stuff, the presentations, I could get online really well. Yeah. All right. Um, coming back to uh, the COO, if I wanted to start looking right now, you're telling me have this list of things that I need get to get done and start talking to my friends. Start asking around who would make who would be the right person to get to do all this. Yeah, think of it like if you were looking for your perfect spouse. You know, you'd describe what she looks like, what she feels like, what she acts like, what she's into, what she's good at, what she, like you'd describe her in such detail to your friends and you and they'd be like, "Oh, I know exactly who you need to meet." Well, what about this? I feel say, like you don't say I need a girlfriend because if you go, I need a girlfriend, they go, well, right. yes, it's everybody. But when you describe her in detail, then they get it. The same with the COO. You describe what they're good at. You describe what their skills are. You describe the way they act. And people are like, I know who you need. But what about when you don't know what you need? When you don't realize that this is possible? When you think within like this narrow vision of what you understand of the COO role and it turns out there's a whole other thing that's bigger, broader, or maybe completely different. Right. So read chapter one of my book, Double Double, and I'm not trying to sell my book or read it, the vivid vision where I covered in the Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs. That will blow up your business in a huge way. It gets you to lean out into the future and describe your business three years from now. And then you can reverse engineer that. And if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. So this starts giving you clarity on what you're building. All right. But it's, it's clarity on what I'm building and what I could get in help getting there. Correct. Once you know what you're building, then you know what you need, right? I don't know how I didn't read your book before. Other people, I mean, I didn't read Double Double. Um, other entrepreneurs on Mixergy have recommended it. And you have zero one-star ratings, zero two-star ratings. You have like two or three people who gave you four or three stars. 92% uh, five-star ratings out of 195 posts on Amazon. Yeah, it's good. I, yeah. I just don't know how to do marketing, but my book is really, really – like I build real companies. I've, I've mentored a monarchy in the Middle East. I coach the second-in-command at Sprint. Like I'm not a normal coach. I actually grow companies. All right. I, I feel like this is the beginning of something. I'm looking forward to the podcast. I could learn a lot from that. And uh, I, I want to just keep working on this. Not just this COO issue, but also the hiring process. And um, and I appreciate well, you coming let's here. Let's do some on that. We, like, I, again, I think we can create a reverse podcast where you talk about some of the things you're struggling with. And instead of you paying for a coach, I just do some interviews with you. Have some fun with it. You mean you want to do – you would be open to doing one where it's the two of us doing that, just talking totally. through. Yeah. Why not? I'd be up for it. We should make a list of an interview, right? It's just actually, let's talk about the real stuff. And that's what I do normally. I feel so selfish doing that and saying, Cameron, here are the issues I'm wrestling with. Or, or, you know what, here's, I'm just telling you where my head goes. Number one, it feels so self selfish. Number two, what if it doesn't work out? What if we just talk and I, I don't end up getting results fast enough to show people in the podcast that it makes sense. And then well, third, what if my issues are too small? Well, they'll figure out what works and I'll tell you if it's the wrong area. Like if you ask me to coach you on your balance sheet, I'm going to be like, no, it doesn't work. Uh, but if you coach me, you know, talk about how do we, you leverage PR or how do we grow the brand or how do we do a vivid vision or how do like, there's lots of hiring and structuring. The company is the big challenge hiring and structuring. When, when we built, we built college pro painters, we had to hire 8,000 people every year, 800 franchisees, 8,000 painters. I'm one of the best in the world at recruiting, interviewing, selecting and hiring and training. One of the best in the world. All right, I'm up for it. We'll put together a schedule and we'll – see, look, I'm even reaching for my back as, as I talk about this issue. <laughs> you ever, by the way, do you ever get a, a metallic taste in the back of your neck? Like a, it tastes like you're chewing on tinfoil or aluminum no. foil? No. Why? What would that be? 
it's a chemical secretion caused by stress. I talked to Tim Ferriss about it years ago, and he wrote about it on his blog about the, the roller coaster of entrepreneurship, but it's actually a chemical secretion caused by stress. You know what I get? I get the sense that there's like a cable in my back. I don't have it much, but I do have it right now. That's why I'm wearing this patch. But you don't, but you don't get the taste. Like you don't not get the like taste. Solid taste. Good. Okay. So you're, you're so right, then I'm not that far off. All right. I'll follow up with you and uh, you're going to talk to Hollis today. I'm going to talk to Hollis, I think tomorrow. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow and maybe I'll see you at baby bathwater. Sounds good, man. Bring your skis. Cool. And the website for anyone who wants to go check you out, it's just CameronHerald.com. For anyone who wants to check out my two sponsors, go check them out at hostgator.com slash mixergy or toptal.com slash mixergy. Thanks. Sounds great. Thanks, Andrew. Bye.